What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Aloha, spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, the paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I'm your host, journalist, author, and researcher of weird things, Aaron Sagers, also appearing as host of the Netflix series 28 Days Haunted and the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus show Paranormal Caught on Camera. And today we're talking about Renfield, the new horror comedy monster movie that's opening April 14th. And in this very, very bloody and very fun monster movie, it's a tale about Dracula's loyal servant, Renfield, who is played by Nicholas Holt, who we know from Mad Max Fury Road and Warm Bodies. And Renfield is the tortured aide to history's most narcissistic boss, Count Dracula, played by Oscar winner Nicholas Cage. That's right, the Nicholas Cage. And in the movie, Renfield is forced to procure his master's prey and do his every bidding, no matter how debased. But after centuries of servitude, Renfield is ready to see there's a life outside of the shadow of the Prince of Darkness. If only he can figure out how to end his codependency. Now, I've seen this movie. It's a hell of a lot of fun. It is super over-the-top bloody, uh, and it's just a delight seeing Cage being Cage, and Nicholas Holt does a great job, Uh, Aquafina is incredible in it, and Brandon Scott Jones from the show Ghosts on CBS plays the leader of group therapy and he's he just lights up the scene lights up the screen anytime he shows up so to talk about this film i recently had a chance in new york city to interview renfield director chris mckay now chris is also known as uh the creative force behind the films the tomorrow war and the lego batman movie which i love also got to speak with Robert Kirkman and Robert Kirkman is the master behind well geez uh The Walking Dead and Invincible and Skybound and he created the story for Renfield and the screenplay was written by Ryan Ridley of the series Ghosted and Rick and Morty. Let's kick things off with Robert Kirkman. First off like I, I'm curious about like your is there any early love for Dracula or like what was kind of your connection to the character of Dracula? I mean, I've definitely seen the Todd Browning Bill Lugosi movie and I don't know to Dra- Dracula to me is just like a fixture that has always existed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know iconic. Uh, you know, it's a part of the Universal Monsters. It has a tremendous legacy and huge importance to the history of film. Um, you know, but. You know, there's a thousand different Draculas. So, so yeah, I mean, Dracula was always a big part of my life growing up. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula mm-hmm. is one of my favorite movies. 
Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've always, you know, been a huge fan of Dracula. You've got, uh, I mean, Renfield itself, like, to my knowledge, I don't think we've ever seen, like, a story rooted around Renfield. What was it about him as a character that kind of attracted you to anchoring the story on him? Yeah, I mean, because there had been so many things done with Dracula and so many different takes on Dracula, um, I was trying to find a, a new way in that would make things feel a little bit different. And I think seeing Dracula through the lens of Renfield kind of puts a fresh coat of paint on the character and makes you kind of look at him through his eyes. You kind of look up at him, you see his strength and his power and his terror, and you kind of get this... uh, uh, It kind of brings in this codependent relationship Mm -hmm. when you start to uh, really kind of analyze, like, what's going on between them. And uh, it was really just trying to find that human angle to to kind of see Dracula through that kind of led me to Renfield. Were you always... Because this feels very connected to the 1931 Todd Browning. It feels like an extension of that... Um, because, as you said, there have been so many different treatments of Dracula. Was it always sort of the plan to sort of make this uh, a spiritual sequel of sorts to Browning's? Uh, not, not really, actually. I mean, that was something that I think uh, Chris McKay had brought in uh, when he came on as a director. Um, you know, he thought that uh, bringing in some of the Todd Browning iconography would be kind of mm-hmm. interesting. And that led us to having those black and white sequences that yeah. are actually in the movie. Uh, and I think it, it, it really connects us to the original Dracula in a, in a really interesting way and, and adds, like, more gravitas to the movie and uh, kind of brings us closer to the legacy of the Universal Monsters, which I think is really cool. And, uh, you know, when we were filming those sequences uh, and I was seeing it all come together and when, uh, uh, you know, the, the digital effects team had, like, married everything and I got to see, like, the final version of it all, that was really the moment when I was like... Oh, I think we might have something special here, you know? Because, like, when you see Cage as Bella, Bella Lugosi's Dracula, like, it, it just, I don't know, it has, like, a feeling to it that is really remarkable. Yeah, well, and especially love the lighting on the eyes, like, yeah, that, that yeah, Browning yeah. did as well. Yeah, I mean, talk about Cage, like, bringing him in, it, it's, it feels like such a natural casting, you know, but easily could have not happened, I'm sure. Like, yeah. talk a little bit about bringing him in and how that altered... Um, the the direction of this film. Yeah, I mean, you know, we finding the right Dracula for this movie was probably the most important thing to get right to make sure that the movie worked. And you know, you wanted somebody that could you know, have a, a new flavor to it, but also had to be uh, as scary as our Dracula gets at times, and as funny as the Dracula is at times, and to be able to do those two things. And it was a, a difficult process to find somebody that could that could do all that and still have the gravitas of being Dracula mm-hmm. himself. And, uh, you know, Cage was brought up, you know, fairly early on at different times. And, you know, we didn't know if we'd be able to get him. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we always knew, like, okay, that's that's a guy that could that could land it, you know. And and when we actually got him, like, I was I was thrilled, uh, you know. Prospective, you know, working with the guy, meeting with the guy, like that's 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 cool as hell. Um, but what I wasn't prepared for was just how like professional he is. Like when when an actor of Cage's level has the longevity that he has, mm-hmm. um, you know, you kind of go like, like, what's what's the secret sauce there? And uh, uh, he was he he was so dedicated to this role. Came in completely off book had amazing suggestions, brilliant ideas, um, tweaked the script in, like, ways that 100% across the board, like, made things better. Um, 
you know, just he would go through his dialogue and he would move a word here. He'd flip sentences. He'd add two words yeah. to to a line of dialogue, and you'd be like, "Oh my god, those two words he added at the end bring it all together and make it make it work so much better." And it was just it was just a real real sight to behold. Like somebody who has been working as long as he is has done the amazing things that he is that he's done, and he's not jaded at all. He is still excited to go to work. He's still giving everything one hundred ten percent every step of the way. It was really remarkable. I don't know if you could speak to this, but if, while watching it, it's like, yes, it's Cage doing Bella or doing Bella's Dracula. Mm-hmm. But also, I thought I was picking up a little bit of like Martin Landau doing Bella and Ed Wood. Was there any discussion huh. about Landau's, you know, influence I'm not, on I'm the character? I'm not aware of any, of, any, of, of any of that, but I know that uh, like there's elements of Christopher Lee, there's elements yeah. of Gary Oldman. Uh, Cage was definitely drawing upon, uh, you know, every. Dracula in history and pulling little bits and pieces uh, and, and, and you know to build that performance uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some Martin Landau in there I mean he is a, a student of film and mm-hmm. be aware of you know uh, obscure movies like Ed Wood everybody knows Ed Wood uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah I mean it, it might be in there but you'd have to ask him this is definitely, you know, full on blood and guts, it's fun it's, mm-hmm. you've got horror elements and a lot of comedy to it is this how how has this kind of represented a shift for you after a lot of your your recent work and living in the Walking Dead universe for so long? Is this kind of like a bit of a a breath of fresh air in a way to be it's focusing less this? depressing, <laughs> slightly. So, so, so that part's nice, uh, but no, yeah, I don't know. I mean, between this and Invincible, yeah. I, I, I guess I'm doing somewhat lighter fare. Although you can argue that Invincible and Renfield are definitely more violent than. Walking Dead, uh, at least most of the time. Uh, so, so I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, 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 I have my lane. I have my, uh, you know, like ultra violent stuff that I that I love to do. But uh, you know, it's it's fun to do something that definitely it has like a different flavor. Yeah. Um, I wrote the Walking Dead comic for sixteen years. Uh, you know, worked on the show for you know a very good long time intimately. Um, you know, and I still check in and oversee things uh, a, a tiny, 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 tiny fraction uh, uh, here and there uh, on the on the new shows that mm-hmm. are coming out. But uh, uh, it's nice to be you know like a little bit out of that world and not dealing with the the muck and the and the grime and the grimes of it all. Uh, <laughs> so 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 yeah. Yeah, I think this is a. Uh, I'm, unless I missed a scene in Walking Dead, um, first time I've seen limbs used as nunchucks, uh, or uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Was that Although in the Walking Dead? I'm thinking about it, uh, yeah, it might be interesting to see that in the Walking Dead. Yeah. <laughs> Do you view this as part of a beginning of a monster verse, a universal monster verse, like? I mean, it's it's too early to say. I think that I have to give Universal a tremendous amount of credit for allowing this movie to stand on its own, to allow uh, allow us to do a, a complete movie that's not you know spending a lot of time setting up something mm-hmm. else or paying tribute to something else or uh, you know pulling from something to try and build a, a MCU esque tapestry. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is a standalone film that has a beginning, middle, and end, and is a satisfying piece of entertainment that if you go to the theaters and see it, like you'll feel like you've been rewarded. You won't feel like you're missing anything else, and you definitely won't feel like it's a taste for the cool thing to come. Yeah. Which I think is kind of a trap that a lot of movies are falling into now, where you know you get to the end of the movie and it's like, don't worry, the good stuff's coming, and then the credits roll, and you're like, what the hell? 
Uh, so we're not doing that. That said, I think there's a lot of room in this world to explore new things. And so if we're fortunate enough for this movie to you know, do well enough to warrant a sequel, I've got plenty of ideas on where we could go. It kind of feels, and this could be a misread, but you know, on one hand, the crime family is the Lobos, so sure. we have wolves. And then there's uh, this <laughs> setup in a... And, and then there was this setup uh, where there's sort of the a bit of an operating theater, you know, yeah. lots of... It's, is there is there more story behind that with um, you know that family or kind of would you tell more stories revolving around that family? Basically, I'm saying are there werewolves? Is there a Frankenstein's monster? It, it seems like there's material there. Yeah, I mean you're definitely keying in on some things that that may or may not be there. Uh, you know the Lobos are definitely a reference to. Uh, wolves in some way, shape, or form. I don't know that we're necessarily intending there to be werewolves, but, uh, uh, you know, the universal monsters are, uh, you know, a cool world to be exploring and playing in, and there's definitely a lot of potential for other stuff there. So Mm -hmm. we'll just have to see. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I think um, with it, there's this tendency when we're dealing with Dracula um, and and vampires that they're these romantic, you know, characters. They become these romantic characters, but uh, our Dracula here is just feels like full on villain, glorious villain, and enjoying that. Uh, was there ever any discussion or any thought about like, well, maybe we should add more humanity or uh, make him more of a sympathetic character, or is it straight from the beginning you wanted him to be full on bad guy? Well, I think that you know he is this monolithic force that is oppressing Renfield. That's kind of the core yeah. of our movie. But I think if you really pay attention, there's a lot of nuance to what Cage is doing in that role. And I think there is some sympathy and there is some humanity that's buried in there, but it is very subtle. Um, but it's something that Cage was able to kind of infuse in the character. But, you know, there was, I, I don't know, I mean, he was always meant to be the villain of this movie. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the angle that we were approaching things from. Yeah. Right. I think our time is done, but I appreciate it. Uh, it's good talking with you again. Oh, good talking with you, man. And that was Robert Kirkman who developed the story behind Renfield and serves as a producer on the film. Next up is director Chris McKay, who tells us about working with Nicolas Cage and paying homage to the Draculas of yore. So here's Chris McKay. First off, really enjoyed the movie. It was a hell of a lot of fun. Oh, um, do you have any early Dracula uh, memories yeah. or things that made you love this character? Yeah, when I when I was a kid, the very first book that I read was this book called Movie Monsters by Alan Ormsby, which was a history of the Universal Monsters on the front half of the book, and then the back half of the book was makeup. Uh, it, was, it was how to how to make yourself up to be Dracula for Halloween and that sort of thing. So yeah, so it was the first thing I actually read uh, myself, and yeah, it made a huge impact. And then I got to watch the original movies. Uh, uh, they had sort of a creature feature thing in Chicago that I got to see, like the original Dracula and that kind of thing. So I was very lucky. Yeah, I know that book. That was it's a lot of fun. Um, the and speaking of which, 
you now get to not only play with the character of Dracula, but you were able to film things in the style <laughs> of the 1931 Todd Browning film. Yeah. Talk about the experience about basically going back in cinema history and adding these other scenes to it. Yeah, that was really important. I mean, it was really important to me to sort of have a connection to the you know Todd Browning movie, but uh, it was also important for Dracula and Renfield's relationship that they that you, that there was this past. And, the, and it's a past that the audience could easily connect to because you either maybe you know those movies or you have experienced them in pop culture. And to be able to put Cage up on the staircase with the spider web behind him and that sort of thing and Holt on the ground there in the Renfield, uh, you know, traditional movie Renfield outfit, that was really incredible. And it was, yeah, it was just, it was, it works on so many levels uh, for me, for the story, for my own personal just love of these movies and, uh, and for the audience, you know, to be able to kind of experience that. I, I loved Anytime you had the uh, the lighting on the eyes, yeah. like Browning would do. It was yeah, yeah. It was just such a. I got a kick out of that. Yeah. Uh, why, when you have someone like Cage in this role, talk about how that changes the direction of this film because yeah. a different actor would have gone in. And, yeah. You know, this is like a role. It feels like he was born to play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think with both Cage and Holt, uh, I don't think that you. I don't think we could have made this movie because they are so. Uh, integral to whether or not this movie works or not. And with Cage, um, he loves horror movies. He loves Dracula. He loves the Christopher Lee Dracula specifically. He weirdly sort of looks a little bit like Christopher Lee. Um, and and so uh, to be able to have him come in with all of that enthusiasm, with all that joy, with all that history, he's a cinephile um, and knows this stuff inside and out and cares about it on a really deep level, he immediately you know came to the table with uh, with a voice and with body language and with ideas as far as like, you know, wanting to change things uh, in the dialogue mm -hmm. to sort of sound a little more like he's from the past and things like that. Uh, that was really, that was really amazing. It was great to be a part of that. And he's just, yeah, he's an incredibly giving actor and he's wonderful. There's a lot of blood yeah. in this movie. Yeah. I don't know if there's a measurement, uh, how to quantify it, but there's a lot of blood. Yeah. Was this uh, anything that you know Universal at any point was like? I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't have a scene where we're using limbs as nunchucks, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, they, there was a lot of points where they had questions about that. Whether audiences were going to, you know, whether we're going to strike the right tone, where you would sort of laugh along with that and enjoy it, as opposed to be, you know, uh, you know, not, you know, lean in instead of, you know, lean away. We managed to make it a lean in where people actually really loved it. Part of that's just, you know, part of that's the tone of the movie overall. Part of that's kind of the color palette we chose to use. I mean, the color palette of the movie in general, very saturated and garish at times, but also the color palette of the blood uh, to make it a little more fun and poppy uh, so that it wasn't, didn't feel like real blood. It felt, and the volume of blood coming out at times. I think people knew that we were, you know, the minute he punches a guy's head off and there's a geyser of blood coming out of it, I think people uh, put it more in the Kill Bill uh, his side of the than, than hostile, so you know, uh, side of the the ledger. So yeah, so we we and we had the audience. I think we had the audience on our side, you know, from from there. So I think we're we're we we managed to strike the right tone. I might be reading too much into this, but we have this crime family in New Orleans, last name Lobos Wolf, yeah, and yeah. then we have these scenes where 
Uh, it looks like some sort of operating theater. There's some sort of yeah. experiment taking place. Yeah. Are we are these breadcrumbs to a larger <laughs> universal monster verse? I don't think that, you know. Like I, I don't think the studio uh, the studio looks at this as a one-off movie. And if there's more movies after that, then yeah, we have lots of things to explore. But right now they're they're just they're you know they're happy with this movie and this is just a just a you know we try to make a really good movie here, and not really worry about too many other things. But yeah, I mean I, I think there's lots of things to explore. Uh, with these characters in this world and that sort of thing. Sounds like that was intentional then. So you were, <laughs> were you, at least from the director's standpoint, were you thinking like, huh, okay, maybe I could be setting up a Frankenstein's I, monster or a werewolf? There, there's definitely, yeah, if I, I would love, you know, in, in success, I would love to be able to continue to explore, yeah, this thing, absolutely. You guys filmed in New Orleans, and that is a perfect setting for a vampire story. Mm-hmm. I was just curious if you could talk about New Orleans as, as a bit of a character in this and why it was important. To yeah, I mean, New there. Orleans, because of the history of the Anne Rice movies and books, the, um, uh, the, the connection to the French and Spanish architecture, it's a very European city. So it kind of has a connection to Eastern Europe and Transylvania and all that kind of thing on, on, from an architecture standpoint. Um, it's a uh, nighttime city. City that, that that you know is, is you, you associate with Bourbon Street and, and partying on the on the street and music and all that kind of thing. Um, so that was you know for all of those reasons that was kind of a big you know thing for me and it's and it's just a city that feels romantic, but in a kind of a little bit of a dangerous way in the way that vampires feel. There's there is kind of like sort of this dangerous romance that you you know that, that's one of the the defining characteristics of, of Dracula and vampires is that is that kind of you know kind of eroticism. And so I think that New Orleans has that, and that's kind of why we chose it. And Nicholas Cage once owned a haunted house there. Did that come yes, up? Yes, yes, yeah, he owned a house, and yeah, yeah which, uh, you know, he loves New Orleans, so that was also, you know, fun. But we don't, you know, we had, we had kind of mostly committed to New Orleans before we even hired Cage. That was kind of the, you know, icing on the cake. It seems like you guys started production in beginning of 2022 and then wrapped April. Yeah. That, and now it's coming out. This is a very fast turnaround. Yeah. yeah. Um, how are you feeling about that? I mean, like that's that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I mean, no, it was, it was it's good. You know, the you know, uh, I think that for the studio, it's, the studio would have probably liked it to have been faster. Um, the uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, the, the, the shoot went really well, and the fact that they kind of let us uh, play around a little bit in post and develop the effects because there's a certain amount of stuff that needed to be developed in post. Um, we, yeah, we were really fortunate that they gave us the time to be able to, I mean, from, from their perspective, they gave us time to be able to marinate with the movie a little bit. So, yeah, so we we're very lucky. Yeah. Um, and then just uh, talk about Aquafina a little bit because she brings this really strong comedic element to it. Yeah. Of course, everybody does, really, yeah. in this film. But um, about talk about her contribution. Yeah, I mean, I love working with, with, with Aquafina. She's, she's great. Um, you know, we needed somebody who could do angry but... Be make it funny, you know. Somebody who was going to, uh, and 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 be kind of somebody who wasn't going to take any any you know bullshit from anybody, and to to inspire Renfield, and Aquafina is so charming. She makes anger funny. She uh, she's almost like a cartoon character in the way she uses her her face and her body language and stuff like that, which I'm, uh, which is really charming and. And there was great chemistry between her and, and you know, Renfield, you know, between Rebecca and Renfield. That, that I really liked that they had, you know, it doesn't develop into a romance necessarily, but there's like 
there's like a real solid friendship. And I like seeing male and female friendships in movies where there's there's a there's a love there. You know, maybe it's an unrequited love or whatever, but there's a true love there, and I really like that. And I love that, and I love that these two were able to kind of make that kind of you know his girl Friday thing sort of work. Is there a love between Renfield and Dracula on any level? Oh, absolutely. I think that I think that uh, Renfield obviously you know worships Dracula on some level and loves Dracula, and I actually think Dracula loves Renfield. I think you can see that in the very beginning of the movie when he's yes he's gaslighting and love bombing. Renfield in the very beginning of the movie telling him he's his only friend and you know he's the only person he can trust and all that kind of thing but Dracula is truly in rent in cage is truly emotional about these feelings so I think that even though he it's a very twisted relationship and a very twisted love I think that he really truly does love Renfield because he's literally has a tear in his eye when he's saying to Renfield I'm your best friend I'm the only person who's gonna take care of you I think he does he just wants he just wants Renfield to do exactly what he says and just follow him. I mean, he's a, it's a bad boyfriend. It's a bad, you know, if you were, well, yeah, this is a bad, you know, boyfriend love relationship. Uh, and, and, but that's what's also makes it, you know, makes it emotional and kind of makes it exciting. And that was Robert Kirkman and Chris McKay behind the new movie Renfield opening April 14th. Again, I just had a lot of fun with this movie. I've seen it a couple times. I think I'm going to see it again. I would strongly encourage you checking it out if you just dig these over-the-top monster movies that might even set up other sequels. Who knows? We'll see. And until next time, this has been Talking Strange. If you have stories you'd like to share of the strange and unusual, give me ghosts, give me UFOs, give me cryptid stories, give me stories of strange encounters with humans that were either nefarious or maybe... Somehow they didn't, you didn't even think they were of this dimension. Send them to talkingstrange at denofgeek.com and I might read them on a future episode. So I'm Aaron Sagers, and until we meet again, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content.